Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, the Israeli military claims to have encircled Gaza City while Hamas is resisting with hit-and-run attacks. Japan has again started dumping nuclear wastewater from its Fukushima power plant into the Pacific Ocean. And the United Nations General Assembly has vetoed the U.S. economic and trade embargo against Cuba, which was first imposed in 1960. We start with the ongoing conflict in the Middle East. The Israeli military says its forces have encircled Gaza City, but Hamas has resisted their drive with hit-and-run attacks from underground tunnels. An Israeli military spokesperson says a ceasefire with Hamas is not on the table. Gaza officials say an Israeli airstrike on another refugee camp killed at least 15 people on Thursday. More than 9,000 people in Gaza have been killed since the conflict began nearly a month ago. Israel has reported over 1,400 deaths. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is again visiting Israel, where he will discuss steps to minimize harm to civilians. In Washington, the U.S. House has passed a Republican-led aid bill for Israel worth $14.3 billion. But Democrats insist it has no future in the Senate, and the White House has promised to veto the bill. Sam Metnick reports from Jerusalem. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu met with elite forces. He said there had been some excellent successes, and he said that nothing will stop them. Israel hasn't given a lot of details about its offensive and has shied away from calling it a full-on invasion. However, they had said that they have sent in troops and tanks and special forces and bulldozers, all accompanied by air power that they say are going to help its offensive. Israel has said that there are two main objectives for going into Gaza. One is to obliterate Hamas, they say. The other is to get back its hostages. There are some 240 hostages that are in Gaza. They were taken when Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th. Right now, it appears that Israel is coming at its offensive from three different ways. One is from the northeast of Gaza. The other is from the south of Gaza City, so they can cut off that north-south access. And the other is from the northwest of Gaza. Israel is also using air power in its operations in Gaza, and some of that air power has hit the Jabalia refugee camp earlier this this week. Hamas said that hundreds of people were killed. It's unclear what the exact death toll was. Israel said that Hamas was using that for their operations and they were using civilians as human shields. While people were still looking for survivors and digging family members out of the rubble, Israel struck another refugee camp on Thursday south of Gaza City. President Joe Biden made suggestions that there should be a humanitarian pause. This is in order to get aid into Gaza and to allow foreign nationals to get out and potentially allow time for more hostages to be released. But the United States has not called for a ceasefire. However, there has been increasing push for there to be this pause in order to alleviate the crisis in Gaza. Let's listen to what Anthony Blinken had to say. We will be talking about concrete steps uh, that can and should be taken to minimize harm to men, women, and children uh, in, uh, in Gaza. Israel has not only the right but the obligation to defend itself and also to take steps to try to make sure that this never happens again. We've also said very clearly and repeatedly that how Israel does this matters. Even though Israel has told people to move from the north where these attacks are taking place to the south, Hundreds of thousands of people still remain in schools, in hospitals, and in shelters. Aid groups are saying it's becoming increasingly impossible to get assistance in and for people to get out. 
That was Semetnik in Jerusalem. Many Israelis have gathered in Tel Aviv, urging the government to save the hostages held by Hamas. Meanwhile, tensions between Israel and Lebanon are rising, as Lebanon's Hezbollah says it has launched over 100 attacks targeting 19 Israeli army positions. The Israeli army says it has responded with airstrikes on Hezbollah targets, along with tank and artillery fire. Stefan Fried has more. Loved ones, families, supporters, hundreds and hundreds of people who are protesting, they're saying, we want, we want them to come home. We want the people back who are being held in Gaza. They've had no word from, uh, from, certainly from Hamas. They don't know how the hostages are faring. They've asked for that repeatedly, that the Red Cross be given uh, access to the people being held. There has been protest and pushback against that within Israel society of some of the violence, some of the unvetted settler violence that's happening in the West Bank um, against Palestinians who are living there, um, push back against that, angry voices here against what's happening there because it endangers the citizens of Israel as well. Activity on the northern border remains, um, anti-tank missiles being fired, mortars being fired, Israel responding as well, missiles fired from Yemen by Iranian-backed Houthi rebels. Israel has intercepted those missiles, but another reason the U.S. Secretary of State is believed to be arriving in Israel on Friday is to discuss opening of these fronts. We're waiting for Hezbollah's Hassan Nasrallah to make a speech. We understand that militants have come across from Iraq, Iranian-backed militants from Syria, made their way into Lebanon, the implications there, possibly waging another front against Israel, the implications are clear. That was Stefan Fried reporting. Staying in Asia, Japan has again started dumping treated nuclear wastewater from its wrecked Fukushima power plant into the Pacific Ocean. This is the third round of release since August. China has repeatedly expressed concern over the process. Chen Ziyuan has more. It was irresponsible to ignore international and domestic opposition to releasing treated radioactive wastewater from the damaged Fukushima nuclear power plant. That's the response of China's foreign ministry to questions from journalists in Beijing. The recent incident of radioactive wastewater being splashed onto workers at the Fukushima nuclear power plant is yet another example of TEPCO's problematic internal management and habit of deceiving the public. It makes people doubt once again the credibility of Japan's purportedly safe and transparent discharge plan. Neighboring countries have expressed their concern, and one former Fukushima employee is speaking out about the conditions at the plant. The individual, who wished to stay anonymous, says he developed leukemia after exposed to the radioactive working environment. His image and voice have been modified to protect his identity. The working environment is worse than I thought at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant. According to the regulations, we have to wear lead uniforms at work. When the protection suits are not enough, they still ask us to work without any protection. He says equipment to measure workers' exposure to radiation at the plant also didn't appear to be working properly. When I was working with others, my meter showed 0.3 millisievert, but the one next to me realized his meter showed nothing. Obviously, his meter was broken. The International Atomic Energy Agency says it's aware of China's concern, but that no issues were observed during the first two batches of wastewater release from the Fukushima power plant. China banned imports of Japanese seafood when Japan began releasing Fukushima wastewater into the sea in August. 
That was Chen Ziyuan reporting. In the Americas, the United Nations General Assembly has voted overwhelmingly against the U.S. economic and trade embargo against Cuba, which was first imposed in 1960. 187 countries voted on Thursday to end the sanctions, while the U.S. and Israel voted to continue. Ukraine was the only country that abstained. Luis Torino reports from Havana. This is the 31st year in a row that the international community has overwhelmingly demanded an end to the U.S. embargo against Cuba. The resolution is not legally binding or enforceable, but it does reflect world opinion. Cuban Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez says the more than 60-year blockade violates the rights of all Cuban men and women, depriving families of basic goods, including food and medicine. Entre el primero de marzo. From March 1st, 2022 to February 28, 2023, the damage inflicted by the U.S. blockade translated into more than 4.8 billion dollars. That is 405 million dollars per month, and 1 million every two hours, affecting the lives of the Cuban people. During debates prior to voting on the Cuban draft resolution, representatives of nations and regional blocs like the G77 and the Caribbean community urged the U.S. to lift the embargo. Other speakers from Asia, Africa, and the Caribbean denounced the long-standing U.S. policy for violating the Cuban people's human rights, the U.N. Charter, and international law, and urged the United States to immediately lift its embargo. Bruno Rodriguez said the U.S. restrictions are an act of economic warfare that violates human rights and affects all areas of Cuban society, including education, healthcare, energy, and finances. Many experts say the U.S. embargo has not achieved its goal, toppling the Cuban socialist government. Instead, it has only brought hardships to the Cuban people. That was Luis Torino in Havana. The United States is set to announce new development financing for countries hosting migrants in the Western Hemisphere. This comes after thousands of migrants gathered in southern Mexico on Wednesday, calling for passage through the country to the United States. Frank Contreras reports from Mexico City. This is one of the largest groups of migrants traveling through Mexican national territory so far this year, according to Mexican immigration officials. Many have been traveling on foot for months. Some are families walking hundreds of kilometers with small children and infants. They often have little or nothing to eat. The migrants know that Latin American leaders gathered recently for a summit in southern Mexico, seeking solutions to this massive regional problem. Many migrants complain that Mexico is taking too long to process their applications for refugee or exit visas. Mexican immigration officials say their offices are overwhelmed by the number of applications. The large group of travelers includes people from Cuba, Haiti, Venezuela, and several Central American nations. The migrants have been traveling along highways in Mexico's southern Chiapas state, sometimes receiving police escorts. The caravan is happening just as U.S. President Joe Biden prepares to meet in Washington with Latin American leaders on Friday to enhance hemispheric cooperation on the issue of immigration, in an effort to decrease the number of migrants arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border. 
Senior U.S. officials say President Biden is expected to announce new regional development plans to help countries hosting migrants in the Western Hemisphere and enhance economic cooperation in the region. That was Frank Contreras reporting. Recapping today's headlines. The Israeli military claims to have encircled Gaza City while Hamas is resisting with hit-and-run attacks. Japan has again started dumping nuclear wastewater from its Fukushima power plant into the Pacific Ocean. And the United Nations General Assembly has vetoed the U.S. economic and trade embargo against Cuba, which was first imposed in 1960. And that's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.